Welcome back, everyone. So we'll take about half an hour for questions here. Please keep your comments brief. Um, and once you've asked your question, you may re return to your seat. Um, just a quick announcement about next week's session. We're going to hear from Howard, Dr. Howard Tennant um, on the question, is the oil sands... Um, is oil from Alberta tar, sand, tar sands a, a sticky environmental issue? So look forward to that next week. And without any further ado, we'll get Rachel back up here to field some questions. So I'm not sure how this part works. Um, oh, there's people at the mic. Okay, then I think I'm starting to see how this part works. Um, so I guess you probably introduce yourself and ask a question. Yes, my name is Bonnie May, and uh, I really liked everything you said, and I'd like you to be premier. <laughs> but if you get to be premier, I want to know what you'll do about fracking. Okay, well... Uh, not really on the fast track to premier at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, nonetheless, on the fracking issue, it, I think that's an area of, of tremendous concern. Um, and as I briefly mentioned, I think that what we have to do uh, with fracking is just take a, a, a reasoned approach and one that reflects, again, what is in the public interest of Albertans, what is in their best interest. And if you realize that you don't have enough information at your disposal to answer that question, then clearly what you need to do is stop and get that information. And you have to do that independently. So uh, as has been done in, you know, in Quebec, uh, you know, they put a moratorium on fracking, and they've also appointed a, a um, independent, um, uh, you know, science-based uh, panel to review uh, the implications of fracking. And so that is, is what we've called on the government to do, is to stop. You know, right now, uh, very little of Alberta's uh, oil industry is dependent on fracking. We have a different type of fracking that uh, goes on to some extent uh, in Alberta right now. But the type of fracking that is uh, the subject of the concern that people are talking about now is, is relatively new and doesn't exist in large part in Alberta at this point. And so we need to stop and ensure uh, that we understand the scientific implications, particularly in Alberta, because in our province we have more wells drilled than almost any other jurisdiction. And we don't know if those are safe. And we, in fact, we know that uh, what we know is that we don't know if how many of them are actually properly closed off at this point. And what we know is that we don't have the, uh, the staff in the Ministry of Environment right now who are uh, dedicated to the process of inspecting and maintaining that, that system of, of empty wells. So all we know is that we have tremendous potential for things to go wrong, nobody looking over it, and no independent person assessing the issue. So that's what needs to happen instead of going behind closed doors with CAP to come up with a PR plan designed to persuade Albertans it's safe. Again, like our Minister of Environment telling us that everything's safe only to be 
have it ultimately revealed that they hadn't done the science to actually uh, justify that conclusion. Yes. Hi, Henning Mundell is my name. I would like you to address an observation of mine which uh, has a, seems to have an inherent paradox in it. And that relates to labor and how labor votes in relation to which party best represents labor. Uh, in that connection, do you have figures, uh, what percentage of uh, uh, the labor community, the unionized labor community in Alberta votes NDP? I would suggest probably quite low. And if that is true, then what can be done to make people aware that one party amongst all has their interests primarily at heart? Well, that uh, actually gives me a good opportunity to move towards part of my uh, talk that I didn't get to. Um, basically, I, I think a slightly higher percentage of, of union households do vote NDP than the rest, but there's no question that uh, a significant number of union members do not currently vote NDP. And that ties back into the overarching theme of this talk, which is, you know, why do people, uh, why do we sometimes not vote in the way that would most effectively represent our interests? And one of the things that, you know, I was talking about uh, a couple of the issues that the that the federal Tories or the provincial Tories are able to exploit in order to suppress uh, informed and vigorous political debate one of the other things that suppresses and or uh, um, distorts that debate uh, is the rules around election financing, uh, particularly in Alberta, because that's when people kind of turn their minds to these issues. And so, for instance, in the last federal election, uh, we had an incredibly encouraging result for the NDP, not an encouraging result for the ultimate decision around who won, but but an encouraging result for the NDP that I think we're going to be able to build on and see some in tremendous improvements for all of us uh, in the next election. But the reason, that, or one thing that people don't quite realize is that that election was the first election in the history of Canada that all three political parties spent the same amount of money. Up until then, uh, and over the years, the the deficit between uh, the successful expenditure, the expenditure on election campaigns of the successful party versus the unsuccessful parties, there's always a very huge gap. In Alberta, there are no election financing or very limited election financing rules. The Conservatives spend about ten to one, anywhere between ten to one and five to one, for every election uh, compared to opposition. And so they speak directly to union members. They go to union members and they use their $5 million to buy pervasive advertising that speaks to all Albertans, not just union members. And, and so we need to find a way to more aggressively uh, raise money, frankly. Uh, so if, if, you know, one of the things, that, what are some of the solutions to these problems? Uh, give more to political parties that uh, represent your interests, and I would suggest that's the NDP, but whatever the case, you know, you need to invest. Um, but also, uh, we need to look at having um, better election uh, financing laws, because if you don't, you start to move towards that horrifically dysfunctional system that we see south of the border. Um, so anyway, that's a long-winded partial answer to your question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, uh, Rachel Notley, you come from 
number one bloodlines in politics. Your daddy was the hero of Alberta when his life was snuffed out, okay? Bless you. And I, I certainly appreciate your sense of humor with politics. You're not that stoic person. That I have a, I have a question after a little statement. I, have you had a chance to look at front page of the Lethbridge Herald today? Uh, no, I haven't. Bless you. It just says, if I may quote, uh, Mackenzie, who's a member of the, the famous uh, Friends, Friends, of, uh, what do you call Friends of Science, oh, yes. the, the five politician so-called university professors in, in, the, in the U of A, U of Calgary, that's the alma mater of our prime minister. And one of Mr. Flagon, one was his office manager and his speechwriter, they just put out a statement that the whole world should take a look at Alberta. They're an example for royalties of oil for the world. I, I'd hate to hell the, for the Prime Minister of Norway to read this statement. $300 billion, we got twelve, thirteen less than when Mr. Lougheed left it. Now the question to you is this, and I don't mean to be brusque at all, but uh, how close are we? to have a political party to attack the number one necessitated problem in Alberta, royalties. When do we get a party that says, tomorrow we get in the plebiscite for royalties is on right now, for people to vote what they held they want for their oil? How close are we? We are as far as it takes for you and every one of your friends and others to cast a ballot for the NDP. Because we are, <laughs> we are without question the uh, only political party in the province which has historically and unequivocally been uh, of the view that to ensure fairness for Albertans that we need to get our fair share of the royalty rates in this province. And, you know, I like to tell people a little anecdote. Um, you mentioned my dad. When I uh, first ran... Uh, it seems like a million years ago and two weeks ago. It was actually three and a half years ago. But uh, when I first ran in 2008, I had a fellow come into my campaign office who had worked on my dad's campaigns back in the early 60s. And he brought in a leaflet from, I think it was a 1965, maybe 1967 campaign. It was one of those really sort of high-end, high-tech kind of things where there was a pencil drawing of an oil rig on the front and, and some uh, Gestetner-printed uh, typeface on the leaflet. And basically what it was saying is that uh, the oil sands are an opportunity for all Albertans. We need to create a crown corporation that will develop them and even then, we said, de develop them in an environmentally responsible way that respects the uh, health and safety of the people around them. And we need to develop them for the benefit of Albertans. And can you imagine if we had done that in 1967, if we had had a Crown Corporation and we'd taken an equity interest in the development of the oil sands, how wealthy each and every one of us would be, how our post-secondary education system would be the best in the world, how our health care system would be the best in the world, how we'd have child care for, for everyone who needed it. I mean, just imagine, vision, envision the, the, the fact that we could have been, Alberta could have been that province that always rang to number one on every measure across the world for all those quality of life indicators and more. Imagine how much we could have given to support other countries that were struggling. Just imagine if we could have taken that money 
and invested it in collective public benefit. But instead we didn't. We used taxpayer dollars to develop the oil sands and then immediately sold off that corporation once it became um, profitable. And now we get a portion, a fraction of the royalty revenues that we should. And as you probably all know, I mean, quick and dirty numbers, before the government promised to change the royalty regime, we were at about um, 60% of what Sarah Palin, that that icon of progressive thought, had uh, put into place in uh, in Alaska, and since then we've actually reduced the take that we have on royalties. Um, when the government uh, capitulated to the uh, lobby, which some people refer to as a political party, the Wild Rose Alliance, um, and so we need to change that. And, and as Albertans, we are the owners of the resources. And as you all know, the NDP and Peter Lougheed stand arm in arm on that issue now. And, uh, and I think people, that's one of those things. People need to connect their vote to the party that will do what people want them to do. And, and it's not simply about being aware of the need to have royalties higher. It's about figuring out which party will do it and voting accordingly. I don't even know that we'd necessarily need a plebiscite. I think what we need is to just go forward with what we say we would do, which is raise the royalties. But, um, yeah, there you go. Yes. Hi, uh, Ian McKenna. Um, We went through this before, I think, uh, last Sunday, uh, this problem of uh, getting students to vote, uh, you know, the way that things are done. And I just wonder if you've got any... uh, ideas as to how we deal with that Um, and uh, I guess secondly is uh, do you feel that perhaps uh, one of the problems for the government is that they don't like educated people (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) I I I, I, I just don't know how I can possibly answer that without insulting somebody um, that doesn't deserve it. So I'm, I'm not going to quite go there. But, uh, but you are right that, that uh, we need to, uh, not only in Alberta but across the country, we need to uh, reach out more to, to young people. Uh, we do know that, uh, that if people don't vote in their first or second election, they're far less inclined to vote over the course of the rest of their life. And so there's a lot that we can do. Uh, and certainly as, as people on, on the left and as Progressive uh, people, and as you know, as a new Democrat, we're doing everything we can to reach out to young voters. And I was saying to someone outside there that, in fact, uh, in the last federal election, if people from 18 to 45 had been the only people to vote, then Jack Layton would have been prime minister. Um, so we know that uh, that young people are um, very much uh, aligned with the NDP. In this province, it's a problem. Uh, we have a chief electoral officer who was appointed by a majority of Conservatives uh, and whose appointment was uh, resisted by those opposition members, myself included, uh, who were part of that process, who believes it is not his job to increase um, the vote of any Albertans, including young people. And he resists the efforts to uh, increase voter participation. Um, and in fact, he's gone so far as to uh, uh, engage in uh, enumeration 
from the middle of August to the middle of September so that uh, he's ensured that he will not enumerate a significant number of university students uh, by choosing that time for the enumeration. And he's done that against uh, repeated requests on my part to change uh, his schedule. And, uh, and so that's a real problem. And, and, the, and his argument is, well, it's up to the political parties to do that. Well, and as you rightly say, the Tories don't hate educated people, but they would rather that people not vote. And so they have no interest in increasing the vote. Um, and, uh, and so that's the problem. So they chose a chief electoral officer who's not going to increase the vote, and they themselves have engaged in a number of strategies to uh, distract and discourage people from engaging in politics. So we need to tell them that that's not acceptable, and we need to say to people, you've, you've got to vote. If no other thing, that's your act of opposition in this province is casting a ballot. Um, so that's the first thing that needs to happen. Yes? Uh, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for coming down. All by yourself, by the way, right? Indeed, yeah, well. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> unusual for politicians to come all by themselves. <laughs> if, uh, Brian and I try not to go well, to the same event. Well, it <laughs> helps to be honest. So then, then you can come by yourself when you're honest. <laughs> uh, speaking about elections... Uh, are you taking bets on when the uh, provincial election is going to be in Alberta? Well, I uh, we had this conversation out there. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that uh, it will be either this fall or this spring. Um, I think it's very dependent on uh, which leader uh, is anointed and how many people run screaming from the Conservative Party as a result of that. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of tough. Uh, certainly in the NDP, we've been pushing to be ready for the middle of October. Um, we have uh, nominated a number of candidates, including the fabulous um, Shannon Phillips um, down here, who we will be working very, very hard to get elected uh, in Lethbridge West. Um, but we're, we uh, are, as well, geared to have all our candidates nominated by the middle of October. And, uh, and we're um, planning on that basis. So uh, what I say to New Democrats is be ready for October 15th. And if it happens in the spring, well, then there's never, it's never possible to be too ready. And so that's my answer to that question. Uh, Rachel, thank you very much for coming down and uh, giving us a very interesting address. Uh, my name is Mark Sandylands. I uh, ran provincially in Lethbridge West uh, twice, 2001-2004, then I went federal twice. Um, in my conversations with people, it often became obvious to me that uh, people don't know which constituency they live in because of the name of the constituency. So Lethbridge West is not the same as West Lethbridge. <laughs> Until uh, the recent boundary change, the, uh, the boundary was 13th Street, so uh, a good chunk of, of uh, the, the uh, Lethbridge on the east side of the Old Man River is uh, Lethbridge West. Uh, on two occasions when the Electoral Boundaries Commission uh, came uh, uh, asking for advice, I submitted a very simple request, and that is to change the name of Lethbridge West to Lethbridge Center West, Lethbridge Old Man, Something like that that would make it clear to people that it's not just West Lethbridge. And I think this, the, the, the fact that it hasn't uh, happened uh, 
Uh, it doesn't seem to me to be, it seemed to be a no-brainer, as they say. Uh, the fact that it hasn't happened is perhaps another indication that the, the powers that be prefer that people not know where they vote or not know who their representative uh, and not vote at all. Can you uh, expand on this and maybe talk about other uh, shenanigans that the Electoral Boundaries Commission have pulled, uh, as well as the chief electoral officer uh, really not interested in getting people out to vote? Okay. Well, um, I'm just trying to think about some of the, the issues. Uh, one of my uh, favorite ones that we're currently fighting with them about is the issue of nominations. Um, as many of you may know, when a candidate uh, declares her nomination, they need to get 25 signatures from people uh, in the riding uh, to make sure that their nomination is official. That actually means you have to have 50 signatures because invariably 25 of those signatures will be uh, excluded for some reason. Um, and uh, the Elections Alberta is suggesting that the time within which those signatures need to be obtained will only be 10 days. Um, and so you need to find 50 signatures in 87 ridings across the province, and you have 10 days within which to do it. And what that means, of course, is that it's very um, discriminatory for smaller parties. It, it challenges smaller parties uh, who are struggling to run a full slate of candidates. And it's a ridiculous rule. It is not the rule that uh, is applied federally. Um, and there is no support for it uh, within, the, um, within the Elections Act. Nonetheless, the elections officer is insisting that that's the rule that needs to be applied. So there's one example. Another example, uh, as a result of um, the, uh, the legislature itself changing um, rules around funding, um, that uh, union donations have been significantly limited in the new uh, Elections Act, um, and that's to be contrasted with uh, allowable donations from corporations, uh, which did not uh, face the same limitation. And by that I mean... Um, say, for instance, CUPE. I think a lot of people here are familiar with CUPE. CUPE has locals that represent municipal employees who bargain collectively for, for agreements. They also have locals that represent uh, people who work at schools. They also have locals that re of people that represent work in hospitals. They work in a bunch of different places, and each one of those is an individual local. Um, in the past, each local has been able to donate up to the maximum allowable amount. Um, now, all of them across the province are considered one union, and so they can only donate once. The same does not apply for subsidiaries of corporations. So subsidiaries and the thousands of numbered corporations out there, which are subsidiaries of oil and gas and other com large companies, can donate to the max through each one. So um, that's another little little game that they decided to play. And, and quite frankly, the position of the NDP was that we wanted to adopt the, the, the rules that are federal, which is no unions, no corporations. Individuals donate to the parties that they want to see uh, win, and then we have a maximum number amount of donations that any individual can give. And that's the better way to manage systems so that we don't have people winning and losing on the basis of the wealth of their supporters because their votes should all count the same. And that's the system that we should have. But that's the system that um, the Conservative government of Alberta has flatly rejected. Uh, 
My name is Frances Schultz. I would just like to thank you, Rachel, for a very, I call, almost called you Rotley, <laughs> but anyway, Rachel, for a very informative talk. Uh, this summer, I had the priv privilege of meeting a young man who was here from, with Katimovic, and he had been warned that he was coming to this hotbed of conservative Bible Belt people in Alberta, and he walked into this group of, well, actually, we were all women, and he found out that he was being congratulated for voting NDP in Quebec. He was, it was his first election. He was extremely proud that he had helped to vote for MPs, NDP MPs in Quebec. Now, my question is, what did they do in Quebec that made such a huge difference? that could be incorporated here? Well, I think there's a, a number of different things uh, that they did. I've, I've touched on a couple of them in that, as I said, the federal uh, NDP was able to match um, the conservatives and the liberals in terms of their election uh, financing. So what they were able to do was talk about what the NDP stood for and get that message out to as many people. And then people had the, an equal opportunity to choose from three visions. And in my view, not surprisingly, once they got the opportunity to learn about what the NDP stood for, they chose it. And so what we need to do without the benefit of that equal election financing is talk to as many people as we can about what we stand for. And when I say we, I'm talking about the NDP. Um, about what we stand for um, and make sure people know that they can choose that. Um, that's, that's one thing. Another thing that uh, Jack Layton did um, across the country, including in Quebec, but everywhere, was he did not accept the notion of defeat. He didn't start the election having lost it. He started the election saying, we can win this. And that's something that he did from the very beginning of his leadership. The first election that he ran as federal leader, he started the campaign or very quickly brought the campaign to Alberta. And everybody said, what are you doing coming to Alberta, for heaven's sakes? And the biggest rally that he'd had in that campaign at that time was the rally that he had in Edmonton when he showed up in Alberta. Um, you know, that, well, the, the, this was the first one as well. Six or 700 people came out with a days and a half notice. And he never let go of that vision, of that belief, that there are a lot of people, not only all throughout Canada, but even in Alberta, that believe in the progressive vision that we want to see um, govern our province, who uh, believe that um, it is possible to change um, the province, and that, in short, that we can have a fair and a generous province where we care for one another, and we prosper together now and in the future. And that's a vision that we believe in. It is a vision that is possible to vote for. It's a vision you need to connect to your vote. You don't have to just be the change you want. You need to seek the change you want. You need to make the change you want. You need to believe that you can do it. So there were two quotes as I was watching all this coverage after Jack's passing. One, of course, was Jack's, which is, don't ever let them tell you it can't be done. The other quote was one that Stephen Lewis said, which I was quite taken with, which was, um, change is in the air on a quiet day. I can hear her breathing. Remember that. Thank you.
Thank you once again, Rachel Notley, for speaking um, here at SACPAW today. And on behalf of the board and our audience, um, just thanks again.